Hi, welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm your host, Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Voters will go to the polls to cast ballots in the primary. As eight candidates face off to run for the mayor of Cleveland, the primary will narrow it down to two top vote getters, and they'll face off on the November 2nd election. Here at Cranes, we're speaking to all eight of the candidates who are running for the office of mayor during the primary. And next, we're pleased to be joined by Cleveland City Council President Kevin Kelly. President Kelly, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Before we begin to talk about some of the issues in the race, just remind us what ward you represent and what neighborhoods it encompasses. I represent Ward 13, which represents the old Brooklyn neighborhood and a small portion of the Stockyards neighborhood. Let's start where most election conversations start with the economy. So how do we foster better growth for Cleveland with our economic situation here? How do we make things better? Sure. So the the economy that we're in right now, um, some are calling it a recovery. I am not calling it a recovery because we're leaving too many people behind. We're coming out of a recession, our second recession, in just over 10 years. And this has been the steepest, but yet the shortest recession in the history of, of, American, of the American economy. But it has also been the most inequitable econo- uh, recession in American history as well. So if you look at who was hurting before COVID, it's, um, it's, it's minorities, women, you know, uh, people that worked in the hospitalities industry, street level retail, they were they were hurt the most. Plenty of people were doing did very well during COVID. So our recovery strategy needs to be aimed at those who were hurt the most at uh, during COVID. But we need to take a bigger perspective in terms of what we're doing, and we need to look at our economy. And pre-COVID, we had a problem, and and now it's a crisis. Um, Pre-COVID, we had a situation where we were some people are doing very well, but we're leaving much of our population behind. The backbone of our economy has to be giving our citizens the skills that they need to compete for the available high paying jobs that are in our economy. Jobs in healthcare, jobs in manufacturing, jobs in information services, jobs in the, the skilled trades. And I really believe that this is the time that we can get this done as a community because we are at kind of an historic point right now where we're not looking to get people, help people train to get jobs because it's the right thing to do, even though it is. And I think that's why we need to take this moment and, and solve this problem once and for all. The, I don't, I, for me, I don't like the times when our community spends a lot of time waiting for some big thing to come and save us, whether it's Amazon HQ2, you know, you pick the, the thing that we've kind of glommed onto that was gonna, that's going to save us. We can, we can really save this economy and really move this economy forward by getting our workforce to the skill level where all of the industry that are dying for, that are, that are yearning for people have people to fill those positions. That's the, that's the path forward for our economy, in my opinion. Are you in favor of subsidizing certain types of development with public funds, things like the Cleveland Hilton, the uh, the Opportunity Corridor? Well, so Opportunity Corridor is a is a is an example of something that is you know the the roadway itself is a is a public project, but we succeed as a community when we use those opportunities to leverage private sector investment. So Opportunity Corridor will be successful if it is able to leverage private sector investment, if the investment nodes along Opportunity Corridor are taken advantage of, that's how we succeed. Um, so I, my, my career, throughout my career, I've been, um, 
I've supported public-private partnerships. And, you know, it's always a but-for question, you know, but for the, the public investment, will the, will the project happen? And if so, what type of dollars, what type of jobs, what type of economic act- activity are we leveraging with that public sector investment? So it's, uh, it's, 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 there's no like simple project. There's no um, one size fits all answer, but that's how I generally approach things. How would you help students make up for the educational losses that they suffered during the pandemic? I am the father of a CMSD daughter. This is a, a critical issue. We cannot afford as a community for our kids to lose a year. Um, the district has done a decent job with the, the summer enrichment program that was offered. Um, we really need to make sure that we are reassessing our kids uh, in, in August when they go back to school to make sure that we haven't lost educationally. And if so, we need to devote all of our resources to catching up for that year that was spent uh, remote. And I'll tell you, as a, like I said, I'm the father of a CMSD daughter, and the virtual learning is no substitute for, for in-class, in-person uh, learning. And the, the teachers really had a difficult job because I was, I've watched my daughter do her work, and I would hear the teachers instructing them, uh, you know, they, the teachers would instruct, well, if you're on a MacBook, put in AirDrop and upload it. If you're on a Chromebook, so it was different instructions. There was not a substitute for being in class and the, the learning that, were, that was done because we, we as a community cannot afford any setbacks in our education, uh, the, our education system that we have right now. Cranes Cleveland Business would like to invite you to join us for our next virtual event on the 2021 calendar. Cranes will pay tribute to the top HR experts across five categories. Our Excellence in HR event will also take place virtually, free to attend on August 18th. Visit cranescleveland.com today and select the Events tab to register. Do you think the district is heading in the right direction? And as mayor, would you take a more active role in, in, in helping move it along? So there are pockets of success. I would say the concern with CMSD right now is that there are certain buildings, there are certain schools that are doing very well. There are many, you know, kind of diamonds in the rough, but we can't have a generally struggling system with a few high-performing buildings. We need to make sure we lift the whole system. So there is a lot of positive things that are going on. Are we where we need to be? Absolutely not. One thing I would focus on is making sure that we really started career readiness in, you know, not in the 10th or 11th grade, but in the sixth grade, seventh grade, because we all have to accept the notion that we cannot fail our kids from K to 12 and then think that a program or something else is going to make up just as just as we the previous question we talked about the year that was lost. We can't make up if we fail from K to 12. No program is going to be able to to, to bring that learner, that scholar up to speed that after the neglect of K-12. We have to start career readiness. We have to make sure that every learner, every scholar knows that there is hope, that we have say yes to education, that we have opportunities for them that are waiting if they just stay in school, if they just graduate. There's great opportunities for young people right now, and we need them. We need them to participate in this economy. It's not a, it's, it's not a luxury. It's something that industry needs right now. Do you think downtown is healthy and successful? Um, downtown is is healthy. It's successful, but there's still a lot more that can be done. There's, uh, I think, if you look at the some of the roadway construction that we're doing, making sure that we are doing more to encourage, you know, different modes of transportation, making sure that you know Superior doesn't need to be the big wide um, 
uh, you know, bunch of asphalt that it is. There's a lot that we can do to really promote complete and green streets downtown. We are we are headed in the right direction. But again, there's great opportunity. Um, there's you know discussion of what I would consider you know kind of a a once in a lifetime a game changing lakefront plan. We have to stop talking about connecting the lakefront. If it's something that we want to do, we need to do it. We need to really look at what could downtown be. Is it healthy today? Uh, you know, we're coming out of COVID. It's hard to give like uh, an unqualified answer to that. Uh, are there st- there's still some boards on uh, buildings from May 30th. Generally speaking, I believe that downtown can be healthy, but circling back to another question, in terms of you know what what might this be when people want to come to come back to downtown, uh, I believe that people want the vitality. I think people want to be with people. They want to be in a setting where there's vitality and people, but they're not going to come back for their cubicles. They're going to come back for the street level retail, the restaurants, everything that makes up the downtown community. So is you know downtown is nowhere near its potential, uh, but I'm I'm committed to getting it there. We often talk about downtown, but we don't want to neglect the neighborhoods, obviously. What kind of things do we need to change the neighborhoods to make them better? And I realize each neighborhood has its own set of issues, but just in an overall sense. Yeah. So I'll start by saying um, downtown is a neighborhood and it's it's an important neighborhood because there's there are only two wards in the city of Cleveland where there's enough income generated that, that would support it. And downtown is a central business district. And the revenue that's generated downtown uh, plows my snow in old Brooklyn, and it helps pick up my my garbage and my neighbor's garbage. So the the downtown versus neighborhoods is kind of a tired debate that I believe irresponsible politicians will make because for some reason it does have certain appeal. But we need to make sure that every neighborhood counts. We need to look at the health of all of our neighborhoods. We have to stop being okay with the notion that your health, your health outcomes and your life expectancy are determined by your zip code. And I don't mean a zip code between somewhere in Cleveland and somewhere in Connecticut. I mean somewhere within Cleveland, Cleveland zip code to Cleveland zip code. And sometimes within the same zip code, you can go certain blocks and your health outcomes change and your life expectancy can change by a number of blocks. We need to make sure that we are taking an honest assessment of our neighborhoods. And by doing that in the neighborhood that I represent, in the old Brooklyn neighborhood, we chose to treat um, health, public health, as a community development issue. So community development corporations and that, that, that industry, that business is normally viewed as a bricks and mortar um, operation, how to help with zoning and small business and housing types of issues. We chose in Old Brooklyn to make public health a community development issue. And the way we did that is we started with a community health assessment. And that assessment didn't ask the traditional questions of whether you, whether you've seen a doctor, whether you have health insurance. The questions that were asked were, you know, do you live within a 10 minute walk of a park? Do you have access to fresh foods? Do you have a job? Do you feel safe in your neighborhood? Do you know your neighbors? Are there schools you can send your kids to? And those are the indexes that we use to 
to, to create policy. And that's what led to the old Brooklyn farmer's market. And that's what kept us doing the old Brooklyn movie night for a sense of social connectedness. But if we really want to get to a, a neighborhood's sense of health and well-being, we really need to ask the questions about safety, about jobs, about fresh foods, about access to parks, about, you know, just whether they feel that they live in a neighborhood that they can see their future in. And every neighborhood needs to count. We can't have some neighborhoods succeeding and others failing. We are one Cleveland. We have to just not accept that formula anymore, that that some of us can move forward while some are left behind. What's more important for the city, building new homes and commercial spaces or rehabbing and expanding and making better use of what already exists, those existing homes and storefronts? Both. I think that there is a role for both. We need to appreciate what we have. We need to uh, really celebrate our past and the old structures that we have in the old buildings. And if you look at the, you know, what happened at Landmarks Commission, the great work of the um, Cleveland Restoration Society, there's a lot of those initiatives going on. But we also need to, con- we also need to build. There are times where our existing, um, whether it's our housing stock or our current um, street level retail um, outlets, aren't ready for, aren't, for the modern you know, experience in terms of the way people want to live and the way people want to sell products. Um, we are looking at you know, what, what are we going to do to move forward with the urban forum overlay to really make our neighborhoods more attractive, and that, will, that, that may require new buildings. So I don't think we can rule anything out, any one tool out. We need to continuously invest in the city of Cleveland, and that includes both rehab and building new. And I think that it's a, it's a site-by-site, case-by-case decision, but there's, um, there's, there's great opportunity to do both, and we need to make sure that we're maximizing that opportunity whenever possible. Do you feel that the city should subsidize uh, brownfield redevelopment? All of the public, anytime the public invests in brownfields or, or any property, it's got to be a but-for question. It's got to be, you know, but for the public sector investment, would somebody develop this, this parcel? And if so, what is the result of, of leveraging the private sector investment? How many jobs are you creating? How many, um, you know, what, what type of, of lives are you changing? And again, anytime we can take, and a brownfield is an environmentally compromised property. Anytime we can take an environmentally compromised property and make it viable, that is a, that is a, a good thing for the public. That is an important investment to make if that can happen. Ideally, though, you really just make that, that calculation. What is the public sector investment? What private sector investment will this leverage? How many jobs? And you know, what is the, how do we best execute that plan? Sadly, we've seen a rise of crime in Cleveland, in particular during the pandemic. How do we address that problem? So we need to address crime immediately. This is the number one issue in every single issue, every single neighborhood, every single ward in the city of Cleveland. Um, I have a three-pronged approach in terms of dealing with crime. The first thing we need to do is we need to support, train, and give the police the tools that they need to do this difficult job that we're asking of them. Uh, right now, there are over 100 openings for for police officers in the city of Cleveland over what the council budgeted for. So it's not a matter of money. We've got to get them in and we've got to get them trained because what happens if we are understaffed, what's going to happen is every specialty unit has openings, sex crimes, domestic violence, homicide detectives. 
when we don't fill those, what happens is we don't solve crimes. Our solve rate goes down and people commit, you know, the same people are committing additional crimes. We have to, we have to stop that because I was just at um, a memorial um, for Mr. Wilbert McCormick, a firefighter who was uh, killed over a year ago during COVID. And to make matters, what could be worse than losing a husband and losing a member of your family? The only thing that could possibly make it worse is if the homicide detectives aren't timely following up. You're not getting, you know, the you know the feeling that your case is the absolute priority of the city of Cleveland. We need to make sure that happens. Um, so another thing we need to do, the second prong, is true community policing. Everybody uses the term community policing, but what does that really mean? Well, to me, it means neighborhood safety centers. It means having general police orders that there will be bike patrols and foot patrols in every neighborhood and that there will be a community relations committee for every district. And that is something that I think would go a long way towards tailoring policing to the neighborhoods that we serve. The third longer term prong of, of my plan is that we have to get to the root causes of crime. And that is poverty, that is hopelessness, that is disinvestment. And those are gonna be the hardest part of my plan to execute, but we have to start on day one to, to really look to, to move those forward. But we have to, have to prioritize safety as job one. That'll be my first, that'll be day one, the first thing we focus on. Because if we can't get safety right, it's going to be the rest of the stuff. A lot of it doesn't matter because families won't choose Cleveland as a place where they want to raise their family. Businesses won't choose Cleveland as a place they want to relocate or expand. We have to get this done. Do you support continuing the consent decree? Um, I think that the, the consent decree is far from over. I think we need to see what progress we continue to make. Um, I have concerns about the amendment, that um, the, the charter amendment that is uh, likely going to be on the ballot in, in November, because I think there's issues of, you know, of lines of authority in terms of, you know, the accountability for this, this, this appointed board. And there's, I've got concerns with the language of that. But I think that we just need to continue the work of the consent decree. The consent decree has resulted in a lot of very positive things for the city. The crisis intervention training for every officer, de-escalation training for, for all officers. You know, it has, been, it has been very positive for the city of Cleveland. Join us this year for our flagship 40 Under 40 Awards, which highlight the city's best and brightest leaders who've made an impact within their organization and beyond before their 40th birthday. If you know someone deserving of a nomination for a Cranes 40 Under 40 Award, go to cranescleveland.com and click Nominate under the Awards tab before nominations close August 23rd. We mentioned the Opportunity Corridor. Are you pleased with the direction the project is taking? Not necessarily. Um, I think that We've missed a lot of opportunities along the way. I think there's been a lot of delays in construction. Um, I do not see it at this point as attracting the kinds of development, the kind of investment that it was originally, um, you know, kind of designed to do. The why I have hope is similar to the Euclid Corridor project, um, now the Health Line. Um, it had certain expectations. And for a, you know, for a period of time, it was very slow to develop. Um, but after a while, just by being consistent to the mission and, and sticking to the plan, there is development happening um, along Euclid Avenue, along this corridor. So I think the, the real key to Opportunity Corridor is sticking to the original mission, um, you know, not, not being diverted and just continuing to advocate to attract the investment that it needs. But is it where I had hoped it would be today? No. 
but I do have hope that if we if we all stick to the mission of what is supposed to be, we can get there. Have you had an opportunity to take a look at the proposal for the lakefront that the Browns have put forward? Yes, I have. And I am very optimistic about that. Um, I think that, again, we if we are really going to you know, get downtown, get the city of Cleveland to where it needs to be, where I think it can be. We have been talking about connecting to the lakefront for as long as I've been in elected office and for a long time before that. It's, it's always been a goal and there have been plenty of plans that have been proposed and put on a shelf and we just have not been able to get this done. There was some enthusiasm, there was some momentum when there were dollars available for this, for the land bridge. But it ended up being very expensive, and it just was not able to be done with the amount of funds that were that were allocated. Why I'm optimistic about this plan is that a it's bold. It's a big bold plan. Um, the it talks about you know the how the, the shoreway kind of hinders development and progress on Lakefront. We take that that section of the shoreway out between West Sixth and East Ninth Street and divert that traffic. Um, Getting to the lakefront opens up, if we were to do that, A, we get to the lakefront, it opens up a tremendous amount of development um, in that area. And we can also, in addition to all of the, the, the benefits that, that come from it, there's private sector opportunity underneath the land bridge that I think can really be a revenue stream to fund this. But it's going to take a tremendous amount of commitment. It's going to take a tremendous amount of community will to get this done. We're going to need federal, we're going to need state, we're going to need county, we're going to need city help to get this done, and we're going to need private sector investment. But I think that I would encourage everybody to look at that plan. I think that maybe this isn't the final plan, but just this idea that we can put a land bridge, some sort of cantilever over the railroad tracks, open up all kinds of acreage for, for development, calm traffic, take the shoreway off of our you know, for at least for a section off of this great asset that we have, which is Lake Erie, and really connect people to the lake that in a way that is open to the public, that is a, a true public park, a true public facility that people can use and people can enjoy and people can really understand why it's so important to have Lake Erie in our backyard. Is there a way to foster a relationship with Columbus as decisions continue to be made at the state level that seem to encroach upon home rule here in Cleveland? Yeah, that has been a very frustrating part about being a member of Cleveland City Council and working to deal with, you know, everything from gun violence to economic development is the state has always in, I shouldn't say always, but in some key, key areas has infringed upon home rule in a way that I think has been tremendously damaging to the city of Cleveland. Uh, We talked a lot about safety. Um, If you look at what the state has done to obliterate our gun laws, um, that makes it very hard to to police streets now. Uh, When we look at economic development, one of the best tools that we had for really um, providing equitable development and having companies spawn from other other contracts was the Fannie Lewis law. That was an unmitigated success. It was absolutely doing everything that we had set out, we as the city of Cleveland set out to do. In addition to requiring participation, there, was a, there have been numbers of companies that started as a subcontractor because of the Fannie Lewis law, got enough work that they were able to become the general on other jobs, the general contractor. It's been tremendous. Um, so that being said, 
uh, it's been a challenging relationship with Columbus as it relates to home rule, as it relates to the some of the other projects that we're doing. There are times when on a, on a kind of a case by case basis where we are able to um, have Columbus, you know, step up and really um, you know, partner with us on important projects. Opportunity Corridor was one of them. It was a rocky partnership, but we got there. The lakefront plan may be another, but really my, what I try to tell my friends in Columbus all the time is that if you look at where, from a state budget, where revenue is being generated from, um, it's not coming from Marion County or Licking County or Hocking County. It's coming from the urban centers with Cleveland being one of the biggest contributors to the state budget in terms of our taxes, in terms of the fees that we that we pay for, for state services. I, I would just encourage Columbus to treat us not as, you know, some sort of that they seem to believe that they're, you know, doing charity or something, I would say, no, we're kind of your cash cow. And if something doesn't work in Cleveland, I would treat it as a wheel has come off your gravy train. We talk about once in a generation, once in a lifetime opportunity. We have the American Rescue Plan, the infrastructure funds are going to be coming to Cleveland. How would you see using some of those? First priority for me is, again, let's stop talking and let's start doing. Let's stop talking about the concept of digital divide. Uh, It is something that people become all too comfortable with. But to me, what it means is this. It means that if you have access to a device and broadband service, you have an opportunity to move ahead. If you don't, you most surely will be left behind. We have to prioritize this citywide. And that will be my first priority of these of these funds, because uh, there is certain criteria in terms of what's eligible and what's not. This is an identified area where it's absolutely able to be used. And I think it's the right place to use it for for several reasons. But most of all, we can't continue leaving half of our citizens behind when it comes to connectivity. The census is going to tell us that we are one of the least connected cities uh, in the nation. That's not a recipe for success. The area that I represent, Old Brooklyn, Ward 13, now, we are over 10 years ago, we started a, a, a free Wi-Fi system and we just completed an upgrade. I'm broadcasting to you now over Old Brooklyn Connected. And it is something that, you know, we know how well it works. We do have numbers that, that talk about the usage, but it's really when it when a storm hits or something happens and then a, something goes down, we hear from the people that are using it. And a lot of times it's senior citizens. A lot of times it's families that can't afford broadband service. You know, this is so important and we cannot expect to move forward as a community if we do not deal with this. We saw when CMSD, when COVID hit, if digital divide was a problem before, we saw CMSD send home 18,000 kids who we knew did not have access to a device or broadband service. That cannot be okay with anybody. So the long answer to your question is, first place I'm going to focus is on broadband really ending the digital divide. Let's stop talking about it. Let's actually do something about it. I've worked on this, you know, for my, almost my entire career on council. And I would encourage you, if you come through Old Brooklyn, you know, open up your phone and look at the available services and you'll see the Old Brooklyn Connected site. We have to make sure that we solve this problem.
Cleveland City Council President Kevin Kelly. Thanks for joining us today and sharing some thoughts on these important issues with listeners and readers of Cranes. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate your uh, giving me a few minutes. Um, and uh, anytime I can be on the show, I'm more than happy to. Cleveland City Council President Kevin Kelly joined us today for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk again soon.